Welcome to Succession Stories. I'm Lori Barkman. As an exit value planning and M&A advisor, I call myself the business transition Sherpa. This podcast guides entrepreneurs from transition to transaction, from building value in your business to letting go. What do I do when I'm not hosting a podcast? I work with owners to maximize business value with my firm, small.big. And as a certified mergers and acquisitions advisor with Stony Hill, I guide you through the complex process of selling your company. Tune into Succession Stories for weekly insights to reward your hard work and avoid succession regrets. Hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and sign up for our newsletter at successionstories.com. Here's to your success. Is this the year to sell your company? Don't leave your exit to chance. Stony Hill Advisors works with entrepreneurs like you to get ready for what may be the biggest transaction of your life. Learn what your business is worth by visiting stonyhilladvisors.com slash podcast. How can a service business drive recurring revenue? Andy Cabasso founded JurisPage, a marketing services company with a niche audience. Just three years later, they were bought by a strategic acquirer for seven figures. Andy's story will be interesting to anyone wondering how to package their services as products and develop a recurring revenue model, a key value driver. Creating a more valuable business is a key topic in my book that will be launched later this year. You'll be the first to hear about it, so stay tuned. And now enjoy my conversation about productizing your services with Andy Cabasso. Welcome to Succession Stories. My guest today is Andy Cabasso. Andy, I'm really excited to talk to you and learn about your experience as a co-founder and your journey from creating and launching a business to ultimately selling it and having a successful exit. So welcome. Thanks, Lori. I'm happy to be here and happy to talk about all this. Why don't we start by talking about you and the company that you co-founded called JurisPage? Yeah. So it kind of started because I was in law school and I realized that I didn't want to be practicing law, which may be a late realization to have. But at, at the same time, when I was applying to different law firms to work at, I noticed they all had really bad websites. And I had a bit of a marketing background studying in undergrad. And a friend of mine, my roommate from college, was actually a freelancer doing web design work. And so I talked about it with him, like, there's a, there's a need here, we could do web design and marketing for law firms. And we started working together, it became like a little side project, I graduated law school and started practicing law, but I did a good enough job with our marketing that it kind of became its own thing. And it became a full time job, I stopped practicing law, even though I, I'm still to this day, a licensed lawyer here in New York, even though I haven't really touched it, but the business grew and like we did something right. And then eventually it was acquired by another company in the legal space. But that's a, I've just skipped to the end there. But yeah. uh, that's kind of how it all started. And we can circle back on some of those pieces. <laughs> so you had a co-founder and yeah. did he have a legal background too? No, he, my co-founder actually had like a music industry background, studied music production in college and as a roommate, it, I had to be very patient because he was making hip hop beats at all hours of the day and night. And then 
at some point he gets into coding and he like starts building his own products and starts doing freelance web design work. And, but that didn't really happen until after we stopped being roommates, which is unfortunate because the quiet would have been nice. Uh, but so <laughs> we ended up being roommates for the time where he was really into making hip hop beats. That's funny. So is it fair to say both of you were sort of accidental entrepreneurs? Yeah, it's kind of funny how it how we ended up where we did because we hadn't started businesses when we were like first roommates and we didn't know that we where we would end up, especially like end up working together in the future. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about JurisPage as a as a firm. It's a marketing firm at the time. And so just a week at a timeline here, you sold the company in 2016, is that right? That's right founded it in 2013 or yeah so yeah officially we, it started in 2013 and I sold it in 2016 so yeah three years three years and, so it was a fast run yeah and I wish I could say that like oh that was a plan from the beginning but in hindsight how we how we ended up where we did definitely a bit of luck and a little bit of the right planning from the beginning to make it worth acquiring and at, at an acquisition price that we were all very happy with. Yeah. So let's, let's talk a little bit about that. So first with Juris Page, and you and I talked a little bit before the show and I have a marketing background. We won't geek out on all the marketing lingo here. We can but get just a little give, bit. A little bit. Okay. We can geek a little bit, but just to give us a sense. So you found a market niche. You basically found that as you were looking for jobs and looking at lawyers' websites, they weren't what you would expect from the prospect standpoint as a potential employee, but then also you were thinking, hey, for lead generation and trying to really develop a brand for these small law firms, you could probably help them. So that that's definitely a niche. And what did you ultimately sell as services and how did you figure out what to offer and how to offer it? Yeah. So a lot of it, a lot of the development of our, our products came from customer interviews to understand what our audience was interested in. Basically, I had found and like we refined our pitch and our marketing over time that there were really basically two kinds of law firms and just gonna categorize this very broadly, but there were the law firms that had the website that was geared towards referrals, people who were getting word of mouth business and they didn't really care about their web presence so much, which is why I ended up seeing so many like like in the footer of the website, like copyright 2007. And it's like, oh gosh, when did you last update this? But like those firms weren't caring so much. And so they were just like, I need a good web presence so that when someone gets referred to me and they look me up online, which they inevitably will, I have a decent enough presence that they're comfortable hiring me. And then there are the firms that were all in on lead generation on trying to get customers from the internet. And for them in particular, they needed to be investing because their competitors are investing and they're all fighting for those clients that are searching for a lawyer. Because generally when someone's looking for a lawyer, they're at a very bad point in their lives. Either they've been arrested or they've been involved in an accident or someone's dying. Generally, generally speaking, that like it's you're often needing a lawyer at a very stressful point in your life, and there's a lot of urgency. And so, if you're not getting referred to a lawyer by a friend, you're going online, and in terms of like that search and like really optimizing that whole web experience for getting that visitor to click on your site and give you a call, there's a lot of urgency there. And because for the law firms, like each client can be very, very valuable. There are a lot of stakes there. And so you want to really ensure that you 
best increase the likelihood that they reach out to you and hire you before anyone else. And so given that we saw like, all right, there are these two kinds of clients and there's maybe some overlap, but this is where it was. We were catering all of our content towards towards education for the firms that weren't really sure of where they fit in and then gearing our products towards that. It's interesting how you referenced customer interviews. That's typically where I think a lot of firms fall down is they start to assume they know what the market wants. And especially over time, if you get further and further away from your customer, you may lose touch with ultimately your differentiation potential and market niche. So I love that you guys started there and segmented the market. I will say that we've made mistakes though. So we figured that out, but I will say that. So our first attempt at a product was actually a self-service product. We were building, we built a like sort of templatey workflow of choose your own website design. And like, it would walk you through like a very self-service kind of thing, similar to like a site builder, like a Squarespace or a Wix or something like that. And that just wasn't resonating with our audience because and we were interviewing people who had, we saw like started the process or visited us and then just left and they were saying, here's the deal. I am a lawyer who charges $300 an hour and I don't have time to figure out how to build my own website. Even if it's easy, you're still telling me I need all this content. I have to figure out where to put all these things. I'm not a designer. That's why I'm hiring a designer. And so that was our first iteration and it did not work out. And then after we were trying to figure out why this wasn't resonating, we then did the customer interviews to figure figure that out. And then it was like, oh yeah, of course that makes sense. We should have probably done that first before we invested in building this particular process. And yeah, that's definitely a problem that I've made in my career. And I know plenty of other entrepreneurs have, which is you've got this idea and you're like, maybe throw it around to a few people. And you're like, what is it? How does this sound? And it's like, yeah, that's great. Let's do that. Of course. And then it turns out that it just is not sticky with your real target audience. And so that effort can be wasted, but it could also be a learning experience. Absolutely. A lot of times you do have to keep iterating and learning as you go. That's an important lesson. A nuance to what you've been saying, Andy, you've been using the word product. And in the introduction, I called you marketing services. So let's take a moment and talk about that. For the audience, what we're going to talk about now is how can a services business productize? When you talk about your services, you've created a sense that it's a product. Help us understand how you did that, what that meant. So when a lot of people hire a web designer, they're thinking, I'm going to get a website, right? And I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. Like it's going to be a collaborative process and we're going to do a design and maybe have revisions and it's going to take take us some time. And for a lot of designers, things can go off the rails. And this is an experience that my co-founder had had with his previous freelance design work where he and his clients would have a scope of what the project would be, but then there would always be, you know, one other thing or one other revision or ah, I don't like that. Let's start over or something like that. And so ultimately what the client wants is the product, the website, right? But things can go off the rails when things are not clearly defined. And so to make it easy for both the client and for us in terms of delivering that service, we made our web designs fixed 
product. So with fixed deliverables to say, you will get a website starting out, we have a few different layout options for home pages for you to choose from in terms of inspiration. You can give us feedback on this and this and this. You're going to have a like a, a bio page for X amount of lawyers based on how many there are at your firm, a contact page, a blog page. Um, all of these are very fixed deliverables that that the client is going to get with a certain amount of revision rounds. And this is the fixed scope. Importantly, on the design side, by us having this very fixed scope, we can know the entire process and workflow to expect. We can build our team to work on this workflow to say, all right, so we're at this stage. So every project is going to have these fixed steps to do, whether from brainstorming the, the ideas to getting the assets that we need from the client to doing the first design iteration or mock-ups and then doing the revision and then doing the final delivery. And by everything having a fixed scope ensures that we have kind of like an assembly line sort of process that from start to finish, nothing is going to go off the rails, that we're going to get the client the deliverables and get them the, the site that they're looking for, and that things don't take forever and and get stuck because that that's a, like the scope creep, the things going beyond what we had agreed to and what the client had paid for um, is a very real thing that can happen. And so what we, so having that like fixed product for a website, having fixed products for uh, SEO services or paid search services was super important to being able to help us grow the business and scale it so that we could at first, be able to take on more and more clients and everyone would be along the same product timeline so we can know at where every single client is at every stage of the way. But also for us, help us scale and build our team by having all of these fixed stages with fixed deliverables and knowing what we're doing at every stage of the way, we could easily onboard new team members to work at each of these steps. And so for pricing, how did you figure out pricing? It was that trial and error on the bundles because it's a cost of materials kind of a thing. If you know how long it takes you to do package A, B versus C, right? And then did you try out certain pricing and, and it was too high and then you already realized it was too low? How did you find the right spot? Yeah, so it definitely started out too low, which I think is a thing that a lot of designers do is they price themselves too low. They're, they're, you know, we were like, all right, we want to get our first clients. We also want to have our portfolio and, and that we could show off to new prospective clients. And then, you know, after we built up that portfolio and we also had these assets that we could reuse and work from. So for example, having like a bunch of different homepage templates that we'd already created for other clients that we could repurpose for new clients with some variations that could also that would also help us be more efficient to make our designs quicker and that there like in having done 200 let's say law firm websites the bio page for any given lawyer the template the layout for that there are only so many variations of it that that, that exist and we over time like we had probably like five to 10 variants, but we like ha having built those, we could reuse those on future projects, which would save us time and make it so that like, we're like, all right, we have, so we have all this time baked into our costs. So we can figure out that, you know, the, the going, going from 
the building all these deliverables out and building this project should on average take us X amount of hours now that we like have the this library of assets to go from. And so we could charge uh, a little bit less than some of our competitors because uh, like a lot of the people that we're competing with were not just like legal focused marketing agencies, but like local web designers, you know, mom and pop people who were like local to a specific city and they're like who are marketing themselves as I am a web designer for businesses in New York or businesses in Chicago or whatever. But for a lot of them, this might have been their first time doing a workers comp law firm or something like that. But we've done dozens of workers comp law firms and we know what their style and aesthetic is and we could have assets to draw from. So we could do the design much quicker, know what their clients are interested in particular. And we have that base to kind of pull from, which uh, I thought made, made us a lot more attractive as an option and could get us the sites designed much quicker too. Who is your most important customer? The person who buys your business. Stonyhill Advisors works with owners to maximize the value when you're ready to sell. Get started today with a business valuation by visiting stonyhilladvisors.com slash podcast. Let's talk about the team and the process. The team was relatively small, right? How many employees yes. were there full-time? By the time we sold the agency, there were there were four of us full-time plus uh, some contractors. Um, the full-time people we had were, um, we had a, uh, I guess, two people doing design, one person doing uh, uh, sales, and then me doing, I guess, me also doing some like operations, sales, and, and marketing. Marketing was probably the main thing that I focused on besides operations. So you really uh, needed to have your processes locked down. As you described, you had you had these packages, you had these product bundles, and it was a fixed uh, arrangement for a client to choose package A, B, or C. So how how did you ultimately create that the efficiencies with the team? So a few things that we did. One, well, one we set up project management software we were using at the time uh, Trello, but over time we changed and used different things. We ended up using a Podio, which was a uh, I liked a lot, if I were to start over today in 2022, I would use something like ClickUp probably, uh, just because it's very, very flexible um, and very good for creating items with recurring elements to them. So like, like having a recurring item for, hey, it's the end of the month, create your monthly reports or, uh, hey, this client is an SEO client, every month they get this um, and, and so on. And things like that are, are very, very helpful. and. Um, truthfully, I didn't really see that like Trello had all, all of that so much, but that all being said, um, so we had project management software, we created internal documentation, uh, SOPs, uh, standard operating procedures, basically, uh, a guide for each team member in their role to know what to do at every single stage. Really the idea being if the CEO takes a vacation or disappears for a week, the team wouldn't be rudderless and they would know what they need to do with any client at any given stage. Those SOPs are, are really important to document, but sometimes I see one of my clients where they have things written down, it's a process is documented, but it's not followed. So there's no accountability. How did you drive accountability? So 
it's important to have your metrics and to know like, all right, so we have like we have, let's say we have a weekly meeting and with a department head or, you know, as a small team, the, the, the person who is in charge of this, um, we see like this week, okay, we have this many clients in this stage, this stage, and this stage, uh, all the clients that are in this stage need to get, uh, need us to follow up with them once a week to ask them for their bio materials or content that we're waiting on for them, um, or clients in this stage need this and this. So what progress have we made? And so having like a weekly standing meeting has has a, something for you to be accountable to. Uh, one other thing that can be helpful here is incentives and bonus pay. So um, setting goal metrics for where you where like what you think the role should be capable of doing on any given month or quarter, and bonus metrics for if you hit uh, uh, a certain certain particular milestones. That's incredible. So you really had good follow through with a small team. Now let's switch gears and talk about selling the company. You, this was a young company. You were still growing revenue wise. I don't know if you can share any numbers, but just to give a sense of size. Okay. So we can just sort of imagine here. And what do you think was some of the keys to the company's acquisition? You were not seeking to get acquired. Well, little bluebird came to you. Give us the background. What happened? So there were a few things that we had definitely done right and pieces that we had in place that I think made us very attractive to be acquired. Uh, the first thing is we did a very good job with our own marketing. Um, I, I'll say that like we really became a brand in our space. Uh, we did a lot of by way of content marketing. And so uh, a lot of, like we did a lot to educate our audience and also provided content that it wasn't just related to us, but related to like the legal tech space as a whole. Uh, one thing that I had noticed is that when a bunch of, when a lot of our clients were coming to us, they were looking, often they were like looking to revamp their firm or start their own new firm. And so for them, it was like, all right, so we're, we're starting brand new. I need uh, a website. I need business cards. I need software to allow now that I'm like investing in this, like as a, like, like a solo lawyer, for example, want someone who's like working alone or with a, like a small team with like a paralegal, maybe there are rarely these moments where they're focusing on the business rather than in the business, because, you know, in the business, those clients are paying and you see that money in front of you. You're like, all right, let's work on these cases. But working on the business is, you know, setting yourself up for the future and, uh, in these talks with these lawyers, I was saying, all right, so they're looking at not just not just marketing and their website, but also like case management software. And so I, we started creating a lot of content around case management software or time management for law firms and creating eBooks and downloadables and comparison charts. And th th that drove a ton of traffic, so much so that these other companies started noticing us and wanting to do partnerships and co-marketing. And that helped us become a lot more well-known in our space. And then from that, like we would have referral partnerships, we would do co-marketing webinar sorts of things. And so we got well-known in our space and that's kind of what got us the attention of the company that ended up acquiring us is because we ended up having a lot of uh, mutual clients. And so, for them, they were like looking at us, they're like, all right, so here's the deal. We're interested in getting to, into the legal marketing space. You know, we have a lot of like, we have a lot of clients of ours that we're doing uh, outsourced IT for, 
and every law firm needs a website. And so, you know, we've been referring clients mutually and we have some mutual clients. So uh, are you interested in being acquired? Um, and so when they, they said that to us, I was like, oh, uh, I don't know, maybe. Um, that was my, my, my honest That's a fair reply. answer. It wasn't on your it was, mind. It, it wasn't really on my mind. I was just in like growth mode. And so we're building this agency. Um, and then when, once we got to talking, there was a lot of alignment, not just in terms of our mutual customers, but like also our kind of philosophies about building a business for, in particular, for a marketing agency, a lot of work can be project oriented, like one-time fee. Like you build a website, you give it to them, they pay you a couple thousand dollars and then that's it. But every client of ours was on a recurring monthly service, whether it was at the very least us hosting their website and providing ongoing support. So like helping them add new pages or blog posts when they needed to, to uh, over time also us offering uh, paid search marketing services or SEO services. And so uh, every client had some ongoing mark, ongoing package to them. And so we had built up uh, this book of business and every, with every client we were getting, we were increasing our recurring revenue as well. So what, like a web design client wouldn't just be like a couple thousand dollars, it'd be a couple thousand dollars plus an ongoing hundred or more per month. And as we got you know, hundreds of clients that built that really, uh, that, uh, I guess, increased our recurring revenue, which meant that if I were ever to take a vacation and make zero sales, we would still have revenue coming in, which was a real asset for our business. So our business wasn't just me or our brand. It was our recurring revenue, which, you know, this recurring revenue that we had was something of value separately. That's awesome. That was going to be one of my questions about one time versus recurring. And just for the for the mm. definition, I think it's important. Recurring meaning it has to be canceled, right? That there was a either they run a credit card arrangement with you, there was a mm. contract of some sort, which basically kind of like a Netflix, right? You if you're going to end your Netflix subscription, you have to literally cancel it, otherwise they will keep charging you. And so you were probably measuring lifetime value, you were measuring cost to acquire. And so those metrics as a, as a services firm that had a product could actually look more like a software company. That's what software companies measure. They're measuring subscribers and churn, right? Those are metrics that I'm guessing you followed. Right. And we had, we had very low churn, um, like the, the, as, as we like were interviewing our clients initially, they, the clients that we wanted to work with were ones that either wanted ongoing marketing or they wanted to not have to worry about their website. There, truth be told, like there were some clients that came, some potential clients that came to us that said, I just want you to design my website and then put it on GoDaddy hosting and then that'll be it. And we said to them, just, I'm sorry that that's, that is an option with other service providers, but that's just not our business model. And they would say like, I'm willing to give you 3000 or $4,000 today, just design my website and then give it to me and I will leave. And we said, uh, sorry, we weren't probably not a right fit for you because we want to provide you this ongoing service, but we also hopefully want to upsell you to marketing services down the road. And if this is not something that you're 
you're interested in, then we're not a good fit. Uh, and I, I, I said this a, a, a lot and it's kind of scares some web designers who are like, but you're turning down money. Um, but it wasn't right for our, our model, uh, working on this one-off project while it would have brought some cash in short term, it wasn't in line with the long-term vision. And the same goes for taking projects outside our market. So sometimes CPAs would reach out to us and or people who were referred by a lawyer like uh, financial planners and they'd say, hey, uh, I, I see what you're doing. Uh, I know that you're, you do this for lawyers, but could you do this for our CPA firm or something like that? And we would say, I, I'm sorry, we can't do that because related to how we've built up this library of assets related to law firm websites and marketing, if we were to take on one CPA client, we would have to figure out how to market a, and build like a CPA focused website. There might be some differences, but for us to figure that all out, it just wasn't worth our time because our costs and profit margins that we had were associated with law firm websites and not wanting to build a site that wouldn't give us anything that we could use moving forward for future projects. It just didn't make sense to us. That's a hard thing to walk away when someone's got money in front of you to say, hey, I'm willing to give this to you right now. And you're saying, no, thank you. So that takes a lot of discipline, especially for such a young firm to have that focus and stay the course and give you a lot of props for that. That's a tricky it, thing. It was tough. And it, it's tough. I know it's tough for a lot of businesses when you've got like, you maybe you're early on, you don't have a lot of money coming in, but being disciplined about this was like, you had to believe that this was the best for the long-term vision of your business. If you don't, getting sidetracked with one-off projects are just going to be detrimental. They're going to slow you down from reaching that long-term goal. That's a very relatable business situation. When you look back at the acquirer's conversations with you, they were much larger, right? They're a much larger entity. Mm. And as you said, there was some, probably some overlap in clients. So there was a cross-sell element that I'm sure they were looking for as to mm. why they were interested in you, which opened the door. But ultimately to get the deal done, and as you were getting to know really more about their motivations, what would you say were some of the biggest areas of interest they had? You talked about the SOPs. Were those of interest to them? Did they like how you brought some of that discipline to the table? Or were they more interested in the recurring revenue aspect and the growth potential that it offered for their business? All of the above. I think they 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 saw that we had like they there was a lot of alignment because all of their offerings were based on recurring revenue. Um, like their they, they productized their services as well. They were Their service was uh, outsourced IT for law firms and part of their deliverables were you get virtual machines um, and access to server space um, that you can remote into and access all of your law firm's software and documents and things like that from any device. Now, like it could be very technical, like on one hand you could be like, all right, well, I'm renting, I'm getting buying these servers and paying this and this and this but they were their service it, which they productized involved like provisioning uh elements for based on like headcount at the law firm and things could have you know additional add-ons and so we were very much in line with how we were like monetizing our businesses and so that that just like 
synced up very well. And then beyond that, um, like that it was really attractive for them, the idea of, well, we've got these, like these hundreds, thousands of law firms and lawyers that we're working with. And, you know, uh, we, we are too noticing that a lot of them have a, have bad websites and I, I, like that we are talking to them very consistently every day um, regarding like their IT needs. We can also cross sell them, pitch them, uh, their pitch them websites and web design and everything like that. And so um, that, that potential for them, it was uh, kind of like a, well, one plus one equals three sort of situation that they were interested in. How long did this, this process take back and forth? Cause from the first conversation of, Hey, we're interested in acquiring you to you saying, I'm not sure to ultimately getting a deal done. Was it six months longer? No, it was, it had been three months or maybe it was, I think like in December or January, they had reached out to us saying, Hey, are you going to be at this legal conference that's coming up? Uh, we're planning on being there. It's in New York and you're in New York. Um, yeah, maybe we're thinking about being there. Uh, also, are you potentially interested in being acquired? Uh, I don't know, maybe. And so <laughs> we kind of over the next month, I'd say month or two, we were hashing out what the, what it would look like in terms of the acquisition, what, what it would look like for us in terms of like staying on and what, and not, like we wanted to know what their vision was for our business and uh, really where, where they thought they could take it that we couldn't on our own. And um, kind of after we hashed out all that, all the numbers, there was the due diligence process where we had to get all of our books and everything in line so that they could review them and make sure that this is uh, right. And besides whatever we're talking about in these meetings that we could back it up with all these numbers and everything. And due diligence can often take some time and it takes you away from your business with such a small team. That must've been a challenge. That, that was a real nights and weekends sort of thing for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you stayed with the company for a bit. Did you have an earnout? Yes. I can't speak too much to that, but uh, so there, there, there was an, an ongoing component to it. And you've now since left the firm and you're doing your next thing, we'd call you a mountain climber, someone who's a serial entrepreneur looking for that next opportunity. You get excited about many things. I know you're a co-founder for a couple of different firms. Tell us what you're doing today, Andy. So the genesis of this kind of next startup was something that came about that I thought about from SEO in particular for law firms can be very, very competitive because if you are the top ranked in Google for like personal injury lawyer and people search for personal injury lawyer in their city and click on that and reach out to you and then retain you, the average value of a case can be thousands upon thousands of dollars to the point where the val like the amount that you're willing to spend to acquire a new client can be hundreds to thousands of dollars. Um, um, and so the thing is though, like, given how competitive uh, Google and, and SEO is, one thing that we saw consistently was there is a very high correlation with the quantity and quality of links from other websites to your website that increase the likelihood that your website ranks better in Google for any particular search term. The thing is, the way to 
get links to your website is to uh, often to reach out to other websites to basically publicize your site to say, hey, uh, I saw that you have uh, this article about um, some topic. I've got a piece of content that would dovetail yours nicely. Would you mind linking to my article in yours? And that kind of thing, uh, as we were seeing, wasn't very scalable for either individual companies or agencies. So we built Postaga, which is this software that helps with uh, cold email outreach for link building. And over time, it's also really evolved to not just be for link building. We found that we've also have use cases for uh, PR, for press outreach, to get coverage for your brand, um, as well as for cold outreach for uh, things like lead generation, sales, partnerships, affiliates, and things like that. That's awesome. So Postaga, so we'll all go check it out. Postaga.com is the URL, mm -hmm. correct? Yep. Before we close out the show, you know, I'm going to ask you for your favorite quote in a moment. But as we think back to the conversation we just had about launching a firm, growing it, getting it to the point where someone mm -hmm. wants to acquire it, what would mm -hmm. you say are maybe some of the top things that you might have done differently or if you don't have those words of advice, just any words of advice, you know, if someone's listening and thinking about selling, what would be some of the key things that you'd want them to know? So generally for advice for businesses, uh, especially in early stages, I would say really, really do your customer interviews to understand their problems, understand what they really value. Um, uh, I've definitely, as I talked before, I've made this mistake in the past where I think like I come up with an idea and I think it's great. I share it with a few people and they're like, yeah, that sounds great. And I share with a few people that are in my target market and they're like, that sounds good. But are they willing to actually spend money on that and invest in that? Um, is, is your solution helping them do their job better, um, help them uh, solve a problem that they care about investing in solving. Um, that's probably a huge thing I'd, I'd say for early stage businesses in particular, because um, as entrepreneurs, we have ideas, we're like, oh, this sounds great. And I'm getting a lot of good feedback, but you don't want to spend time building a solution that there's not a, a viable market for and or, or potentially not a large enough market for. Um, you may have a product that's way, way too niche. Um, so I'd say doing that kind of like customer interview thing can help. Um, uh, more recently, I was introduced to the jobs to be done framework, <laughs> uh, which I, I wish I would have learned about years ago. Um, but like it, it's it, it's been particularly helpful for for me as well to like to get a framework for for this. Um, beyond that, I'd say for another piece of advice as as we've been talking about, you know, having these SOPs, having these processes, your KPIs and metrics is important. Um, a thing that I wished I had discovered earlier was the idea of a business operating system, something like uh, either EOS, also known as like traction, or the Rockefeller habits, uh, also called scaling up these days. Um, having a, like a plan for how to run your business on a day-to-day, week-to-week, you know, month, year, sort of horizon uh, and having that these like quarterly projects, having these year long goals and things like that can help keep you on track much better than the 
entrepreneur day-to-day of putting out fires and winging it and just going where where your attention takes you. Um, that that helps you, I think, have a lot better focus in the long term to really get to the goals that you're going after. Those are great words of wisdom. The jobs to be done framework is really mm-hmm. interesting. Just an idea here, if you're familiar with mm-hmm. this concept. And there's, there is a great quote, and I'm forgetting the uh, speaker, but he said, well, do you want the drill bit? Do you want the quarter inch drill bit? Or do you want the quarter inch hole? And what we really want is that quarter inch hole, right? And how right. we get there is through the drill bit. So that's one example. Another example is the milkshake. Do you really yeah. want the milkshake or do you really want this nice, cold, refreshing drink to have in your hand when you're driving your car? Or, you know, what does a cup of coffee serve for us? So that's what that means. So as we close out, Andy, and we think about favorite quotes for you, what's something that stands out or something that for about entrepreneurship or leadership that you want to share? On the internet, no one knows if you're a dog. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I wish I had like a, a really inspiring quote. I don't like inspiring quotes because I feel like they inspire for a second and it's very fleeting. Um, instead, I would say find a framework or a process for you to help you build consistent leadership and build your business. Um, I think really the best thing I would refer to is like a business operating system like EOS, Traction, or you know Rockefeller Habits, because any quote that I say, you may be like, oh, that's great. You're, you might also forget it in five minutes, 10 minutes. So um, if you, I guess, want more, maybe long-term something to stay, uh, I would check out like, a, I'm sorry, this is a cop out, but I would check out something geared towards like business operating system that'll really, I think, help with leadership. And if maybe you want something more narrative, uh, a book that I recommend I think the book's called Endurance. It's about Shackleton's voyage to the South Pole, which, oh my gosh, really har- harrowing, terrifying, scary stuff that um, just makes me feel like nothing in comparison because I have not had to lead a team through the freezing South Pole while my ship was stuck in ice and get my, my entire crew to safety. But I found that that in particular gave me inspiration for the leader that I might like to be. That's awesome. Andy, thanks so much for sharing your wisdom today. I appreciate how you are so thoughtful about leaving a lasting impression of, of ways people can learn from you and your words of advice there and appreciate your time. So thanks so much. Thanks, Lori. My objective is for you to have a lucrative and successful succession. If you want to understand the value of your company today, that's a great place to start. The sooner you understand what creates value and what detracts from it, the more time you'll have to close the gap if there is one. Hundreds of business owners have taken my complimentary business assessment. As a first step, schedule a call with me by visiting meetlauriebarkman.com. That's meetlauriebarkman.com. 